0: From the founders of Mod Racing and the Northwest Rally Association, this is the Motorsports and Driver Development Show. My name is Katie Lopkevich, and together with Keto Brillmeyer, who is my partner in life and business, we have built the fastest growing rally program in the US. Through our work, we get to meet incredible people, and this show is all about bringing those people to you. Our hope is to inspire you to go after your dreams, show you possibilities you didn't know existed, and hopefully help you build some skills to get where you want to go. Today we are talking to La Kea Sieberts, who is a Pacific Northwest-based rally stage captain. In this episode, she talks to us about the journey to where she is now, how to start if you want to get into rally as a competitor or on the organizational end, and what it takes to become a stage captain. She gives a breakdown of what it's like out on stage and what race prep and race weekend look like for her. Kea is a fantastic mentor, a really bright light in the rally space, and we are so lucky that she spent some time talking to us. Thank you for tuning into the show today. You can follow along with our race series on Instagram or Facebook at Mod Racing, or you can find us online at modracing.com. Now, please join me in welcoming Laakea Sieverts to the Mod Show. Welcome to the Motorsports and Driver Development Show. I'm Katie. And I'm Keto. And today we are joined with La Sievers, who is a research scientist for the Allen Institute, but also a pretty badass stage captain. Welcome to the show. Thanks, I'm really excited to be here. We are excited to have you here. Um, I do think it's important to start with what I think is an integral story to our rally history, which is that when Keto was first thinking about starting a series, trying to figure out how that would come together. He was talking to people, kind of shopping around the idea. Specifically
1: and, rally sprints.
0: Specifically rally sprints. Yeah. And um, you mentioned it to somebody who was like, look, you're gonna need a stage captain. And there's this woman. She is a badass stage captain. She's no BS, no drama. You need her. And you were on vacation at the time. keto had to wait like a month. <laughs> Finally got to meet you. <laughs> And what do you know? All the things that were being said about you were true. So we were very excited that you have been on our team since the beginning.
2: Oh, it's been so fun. You guys have really done a lot for the Rally community. So it's exciting to be part of that growth.
0: Yeah, thank you. Yeah, same to you. Um, before we get into Rally things, I would like it if you would talk a little bit about your job, because I think it's super awesome that Rally is made of, of people with really different careers and interests and things like that. And I don't know if we have a lot of them, but you are the only research scientist that I know rallies with us. So talk a little bit about what you do.
2: Yeah. So uh, I guess the short of it is I was a, a, a mouse pimp and a mouse god.
1: Sorry. <laughs> <short of> <laughs>
2: So I, I started out my career at the University of Washington. I made genetically engineered mouse models. So uh, that forwarded into uh, making uh, mouse models for the Allen Institute for Brain Science. So I make neurons flow in the mouse brain and we study those for connectivity and discovery and foundational research to see uh, what's in the brain. So a lot is really still unknown about the brain and we give therapeutics and drugs. We don't really know what it's going to target. So Trying to find out the cells in the brain.
1: So this this might be a, a dumb question to you, but what is a mouse model?
2: Oh, uh, it, it's a genetically modified uh, mouse. So you take your basic mouse, you insert some genes uh, to replicate disease, or in my case, I insert genes to fluoresce um, certain brains, uh, certain brain cells. Mm, so correct me if I'm It gives you the
0: ability to see the way things interact in a brain sort of relative to how it may interact for a human, and then allows you to decide on ways to seek treatment or the way diseases progress, or whatever, without really interrupting the mouse's life too drastically. Yeah,
2: yeah or, or we don't want to inter- introduce anything detrimental. We don't want a sick mouse, so we make sure that it's healthy. Um, so basically, you can equate it to if you're trying to find one noodle in a huge plate of spaghetti, how do you find that noodle? Well, you label it. So, you label it with fluores- fluorescence in the brain. So, we're labeling cells to find uh, cell types.
0: That's a good analogy. Oh.
2: Yeah. <laughs>
0: cool. So, I am sure that that did not lead you into a hobby of rally. How did you get started in the sport?
2: No. So, uh, I was always interested in cars. I took auto mechanics in high school. I was the only girl in the class, and I did a lot of oil changes for probably all of the teachers in school. So, so it was fun. My, my dad and my grandpa worked on cars. So we were in the garage and it was nice that there wasn't a gender bias. He took my brother, he took us into the garage. And, um, so I always was exposed to that growing up. My brother was the one who brought me into racing. So he was interested in cars as well and, uh, found the rally community took me to my first uh, rally sprint at the ORV park, in Stradeline ORV park. Mm-hmm. And that was when the Bug Eye WRX first came to the US and it really made an impression on me, just the sound of the flat four was pretty awesome. So two years later in 2005, I, I got my Bug Eye and my brother said to me, well, you need to start racing. So six months later, I started autocross. He took me go-karting. Um, I, I loved it. He was in my right seat for three and a half years. I discovered rallycross. He was there, and um, I beat him twice. He, he's not here to protest that, but I, I legit. Well, he he will say there was a technicality on that, but I did beat him twice. <laughs> um, so it, it was it was great having the sport together with with my family. So he. Got in stage rally, uh, became a stage captain, and uh, got me on board. So I volunteered with his friends who had ham radios, and I was like, "Wow, this is cool! This is like a whole inside uh, scene that that you listen in on the radio." So I got my ham radio license and became a stage captain in 2010. So this is my 10 year anniversary for <laughs> being a stage captain. Happy
0: anniversary! Oh, yeah. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> so when you were I'm actually curious, like how did he find Rally and how did he get into becoming a stage captain?
2: So SCCA back at the time was um, still supporting stage Rally and they had kind of a a meet and greet where they had all of the disciplines there and they were represented, gosh, I think the the Laughing Days, Solo, um, all of the race events that SCCA supported. And he was really drawn to the Rally community. They're really nice people, they're really inclusive. So he's like, gosh, I wanna be a part of this um and he actually had a goal of bringing uh, growing rally in the u.s so he went to sports marketing got his mba uh got a job at rally america so he calls it the the seven-year um interview so he was a stage captain for seven years <laughs> and got on to rally america and then i came in on his shirt tails and then i became a stage captain to fill the gap that when he left um, So it's interesting to think that I think the Sievert's name has been in rally between him and myself for 20 years. (laughs) Yeah,
0: so when you were starting as a captain, what were the things that he shared with you as like the most important parts of the job?
2: Um, Gosh, well I actually shadowed under existing stage captains as a volunteer because he at that time I, I went to a couple events as a spectator, but then he moved to Vermont to work with Rally America. So I didn't really train under my brother, which may have been a good thing because we're so goofy together. Yeah. <laughs> so, it's so fun having him on the same stage as me. Um so I just kind of learned we we shadow under people and, and I take things that I like from people or things that I can maybe do better and, um, kind of learned on my own. Awesome. So
1: hmm. what, what point did you decide you wanted to go from just, you know, volunteer to, to actually be a stage captain and take on that responsibility?
2: Well, there's, there's always a need for stage captains um, because the amount of stages that we can run are limited by the amount of stage captains to run a crew to run those stages. What made me make that decision? I don't know, I was a little senile and not thinking straight. (laughs) Yeah, Uh, no, it it was actually listening in on my friend's ham radio and hearing what actually went on behind the scene and what what was involved, and um, thinking that I could contribute to that. And also, with my brother moving to that as a career move, I definitely wanted this sport to succeed so that he would succeed.
1: Mm Sorry. I have a question for you, though. Have you ever thought about doing a mouse model for people's first time at rally?
2: <laughs> oh, that'd be amazing. <laughs> the whole thing would be lit up. Yeah, I'll, I'll work on that. It's like, this is awesome. The like, brain's just...
1: <laughs> Find that trigger. Let yeah.
2: It. <laughs> Where is that rally, Jane? Where is that insanity? <laughs> I think they've um, researched that with like video
0: games, like what parts of the brain really come alive when people play video games. That keeps them... Yeah.
2: So yeah, wow. that that's part of what we do. Like we see what brain what neurons fire when they have a little movie that the mouse watches. It's kind of mm-hmm. so There's a whole discussion on what movie the mouse would watch. That was a thing. So <laughs>
0: Um, these are like the jokes, like the inside jokes of the neuroscience community.
1: Right, right. <laughs> we have another question. This one, this one is a little more serious. Um, you were talking about uh, being in the garage with your dad and your grandfather, and I'm assuming your brother as well. Um, were they, um, do they have specific cars that they like? Because often you find in a family, they're like a Dodge family, or they like British Yeah, probably.
2: Yeah. Well, um, we. We didn't grow up with a lot of money, so my dad had, well, the the, the new Peugeot that he got was was the first car that he got that was new. It was a diesel Peugeot. (laughs) That was pretty cool, it was clackety and loud and had a Buick. Um, Gosh, it was, I I think my grandparents' generation was definitely American car build Mm -hmm. generation. Um, My dad was a Harley guy, so definitely American. Mm-hmm. Um, I think my brother was the one that got me into Japanese cars. <laughs> so.
0: That's funny. So you mentioned hearing what goes on, um, through the ham radio and that you felt like you could offer something. You felt like you could be a part of it. What are the things that you hear that maybe people don't realize go on behind the scenes?
2: I swore once on the ham radio. I wasn't supposed to. not okay. <laughs> allowed? No, it's not allowed. That's not mm-hmm. allowed. But there was a missing a gate key and it just kind of came out and the stewards were like, "Oh." That's uh, we'll just look over that. But you know, the whole top level <laughs> heard that because they, they they listen in, they monitor our stage frequencies. It, it, yes, that that was not good. I got a very polite talking to on that. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, yeah, it's it's a lot of chit chat and and people hear because you know it's broadcast open open frequencies, so we get a lot of people that just monitor the frequency, ham hey, radio enthusiasts, and they're like, what's what's going on out there in the woods so a lot of questions um it's pretty fun but it, it's great communication it's we, you know, we chat with each other and it makes it setting up a stage so much easier If people have a scanner or a ham radio i'm like there's your spot They go off and get there so it's it's fun i um, just hearing the inside communication so we have a, a a network frequency what we call mountaintop or um it depends on what rally and what they call it but basically they monitor the whole frequencies. Our emergency comms are on there. um, The stage logistics are on that. And then we each have our own individual stage frequencies. um, But we have access to both. So it's neat to listen to the mountaintop frequency for stage logistics and setup and uh, hop on sweep frequencies to see what's going on for emergency comms. Um, It's a or know our course opening, listening in on them, as I said, of course. So it's really neat to hear the logistics because, you know, our, our stage miles are five to 30 miles long. Um, so it takes a lot of radio communication to get these set up safely.
1: So, um, I notice you know, in the paddock, um, often you will see spectators who, uh, buy one of those, you know, cheap, uh, handhelds and listen in on the stages. And people probably don't, not everyone probably realizes that you can actually do that. Um, Are these, uh, all these frequencies, are these published anywhere? Like how would one find this to say like listen in on a stage if they're at an event?
2: Yeah, they're not published, but you can scan through the frequencies to find them. I mean, we're pretty vocal and chatting the whole weekend from... 7am as I'm driving through, I start catching the frequencies and it gets me in rally mode to hear that communication. Um, and it's, it's really fun because even through hand communication, if a car is off, the the teams will use that and use us in order to coordinate getting the car off what happened. So it's kind of fun to, to hear that. Um, so yeah, absolutely, a volunteer spectator, um, a, they can get either a cheap used ham radio or a scanner to scan the ham radio frequencies. Um, find it and listen in and we use maybe um, We also use a repeater, so it carries pretty far, but I think maybe uh, Four or five different frequencies, but they're pretty close to each other um, So you can easily find it
1: right and and probably a lot of people don't realize so to broadcast on these frequencies You have to have a license. Mm -hmm. However Listen on the frequencies. You don't need any license at all you just can't broadcast unless it's-
2: That is correct. And also, all of the FCC rules go out the window if there's an emergency, so it makes it safer because usually we're out in the places that don't have cell phone reception. So if you have that ham radio, um, if something happens to, to you and you're out there, you're, you are able to use that ham radio in an emergency situation without a license. Mm-hmm. So just take,
0: the, take a second to plug. It is simple and straightforward and not expensive to get your ham license. And if you want to volunteer, which we'll talk about later, if you want to volunteer at a rally, that's a huge piece of the puzzle. So take the time, find a class, do it, get certified. You'll, you'll be happy you did.
1: Yeah, why don't you actually tell us what it? I mean, you, you have yours, and so why yeah. don't you tell us, like, what did it take to, to get it?
2: It is really easy. As Katie said, uh, you don't need to learn Morse code. So we just use a technician license. We use two meter band frequencies. So it's, it's, you don't need a really complicated radio. Um, QRZ.com is a really great resource. They have practice tests and you can even just take those practice tests. You don't really need to study. It's all free. The test is, um, not expensive. 25 ish (laughs) dollars. Maybe <laughs> But a lot of um, local ham clubs put those on on a volunteer basis. They even teach free, maybe <laughs> courses, or very cheap. <laughs> um, so they, they want to encourage people to, to do this and get their license. Um, they even have ham radio swaps where you can get cheap gear if, if price for a radio is expensive. I mean, usually it runs 150 to 250, 300, 400 for a anywhere from a five watt to a brand new uh, 50 watt radio, but buy some cheap gear, used gear. Nothing wrong with it. So,
0: yeah. um, so let's talk a little bit about leading up to an event. Um, as the stage captain, you have a lot of pre-work you have to do before race week even comes up. Talk us through some of those things you have to do in advance.
2: Yeah, so I've learned a lot as I've gone through the years. Email templates are great. Um, <laughs> so first i'm like what am i doing so it was really overwhelming but um it's it's great we we coach you i learned a lot from people from several events so i i kind of knew what i wanted to do and where i wanted to go so um we get our our maps and stage assignments well in advance i mean when the when the last rally ends we're already planning the next rally so we have our routes our maps um we, we know where we're going, we're already having meetings. Uh, so it, it takes, our, our organizing committee is working on this year round. Um, so about two months before I think of how many people I need per stage, where I'm going to meet, uh, the time it's going to take to set up a stage and people guide you through that and give guidelines. But I've also learned from experience, like I think it takes an hour and a half or two hours to set it up, but it took me a little bit longer or how can I shorten it? Where can I meet to make this more efficient? Um, so people aren't waiting for three hours or meeting at six in the morning. Um, people usually don't like to do that. So, <laughs> uh, but sometimes it happens or, or we have a really late stage. Um, so I sent out a, a group email with some information and I, I like people to be involved and take ownership of their stage. Um, I want to get to know people. So uh, I try to give them as much information in in advance so they know what to expect, like what to bring, which we can talk about later for new volunteers, um, some stage maps and where to meet, what time to meet, and generally what they're going to be doing. And if people have any special requests, like, hey, I want to work with somebody or I don't want to work start or I want to work start, I will definitely honor that. So I try to plan as much of that up front so that that morning of I don't have to do a ton of changes. so race weekend, we meet in the morning, I get the safety talk, and then we caravan out to stage. And then I, I place people in their positions, do any necessary training for timing controls. Um, we run our race, have a lot of fun. And then um, we, we, meaning mostly me and a small group of people, <laughs> we clean stage at the end. So,
0: And how many stages do you usually run over the course of a weekend? Like how many are you responsible for?
2: So I usually run one stage, two or three times, usually twice. Um, and it depends on the organizer for how long ours for the Olympics rally, our stages are pretty long, like a short stage for me is 13 miles. Uh, you have, you know, 60, 80 cars a minute each. So the stage will run hot for about an hour, hour and a half, depending on the entry. Um, that length of stage usually takes me about two hours to set up plus an hour ahead. So that's, already five hours we have a gap in between and then we run it again Mm -hmm. Um, so it's it's a it's a long day it's but it's a really fun day and I I think it's great it's like you're out in the woods watching crows go by (laughs) yeah
0: You mentioned the time controls, which I know when you're looking for people to join your crew, it's good to have someone who either has some experience or has good aptitude for that part of the job because not everyone knows how to do it. Talk a little bit about what that responsibility is.
2: Yeah. So um, there's two checkpoints at the beginning of the stage. They have something called the arrival time control or ATC for short. And they check in there and that basically monitors their transit times that they don't speed during transit. So they check in before the stage and then they have um, three minutes for the actual stage start. Um, So there's the ATC checkpoint um, where you basically write in the log where they arrive. So the the time that they arrive, and then you also write on the time card. That's a really fun one because it's pretty chill. The drivers aren't, um, you know, concentrate at the start line so it's a great way and usually they arrive early especially the top drivers so you can chit chat with them get some autographs and it's uh it's it's kind of fun I, I I love all positions for different reasons um so then they move to start and you get to watch the cars launch that's really cool and it's it's really busy there's a lot going on um I find it a lot of fun, and that's where I'm at as stage captain. I'm at start to, to monitor the stage. Our uh, EMT crew is there, our sweep crew is there, and sweep is their vehicle recovery team. Um, so they're all positioned at start. Uh, the cars will run through, and then we have the flying finish, which is where they actually capture the hot time. So they're 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 going in hot there. So we have somebody with a time clock and a radio and a log to radio the time that they cross the finish line, and then – there's a stop control where they shut down, slow down, and uh, that's where their time is logged on their time card. So there's essentially four time control positions that can be worked. Yes. Yeah, I was about to call that out. So people probably
0: if you're spectating, you probably don't recognize like the drivers, but then you also have to have a crew to check in when you get there, control when the start happens, capture the finish time, relay it to another group who captures it again, and then writes it in on a time card. Like It's a lot of
2: relaying information and keeping track. Right, and it, it's fun because uh, you're, you're doing something, and you're doing stuff on the course as well. It's a very important position, so nothing wrong with road, marshal, and comms on course, but it's, uh, it's like go time when it starts. I mean, you're logging, usually timing equipment breaks, as you know. <laughs> you know there's, there's some troubleshooting, and it's, uh, it's, it's fun. I, I really enjoy it.
0: <laughs> like, no, no, I swear it's fun.
2: <laughs> yeah no we really am not selling this very well. <laughs> things break and you know we've had rollovers right before flying finish, and it's just because people are going hot car fire. no I'm not really selling this very well, am I Actually, <laughs> of, how yeah. Exciting. Yeah.
1: Speaking of all this that brings up a question um those uh events that you describe generally bring out uh, Red cross and shuts down stage, yes. so then what? What's, what's your procedure then? How, how do you guys handle that?
2: So I am, we are very fortunate to have a really wonderful uh, EMT and sweep crew and course opening crew, so I am constantly learning and that's what makes this interesting, trying to make myself better, more aware, and we have a great organizing crew to discuss these situations that everybody can learn. Um, so with the Red Cross situation, we work with our net control or the mountaintop radio, uh, myself and the suite crew to assess the situation and, and um, deal with an emergency situation. So safety is definitely first and getting the E-crew where they need to be. Um, it's uh, Considering what these people do, I mean, they race 100 miles an hour through the woods. <laughs> Uh, it's amazing everybody usually walks out safely um, every event we have rollovers uh, car fires these days and everybody's okay so <laughs>
1: right so let me I guess I, I, we should probably go back a little bit for those who don't know um, what a red cross is is that <clears throat> during your driver packet you're given Um, a sheet or two different sheets one of them has a green check and the other one has a red cross okay okay, sorry um okay well maybe it's green check um and uh but um the point is, is that like if you have a situation where you're injured or you're blocking you put out the red cross sign yes so why don't you go forward like what would the procedures be at that point kind of going forward someone puts out a, a red cross like from that point forward what happens
2: yeah so the the car that is giving the red cross um there's two ways to signal that because again you're in the middle of the woods so that has to get to the organizers. Um, So either the next car, uh, race car that approaches that scene uh, relays that red cross to the next available radio position. And that's why ham radios are so important along course. Because if the car, again, my longest stage was 30 miles. If that competitor has to drive 15 miles through twisty tight dirt roads to get to the next radio position, Mm -hmm. that's time that somebody could be seriously injured. Uh, so having a lot of ham radios spread out throughout the course is really instrumental, uh, really important. Um, so the, the next competition car would go to the next radio point to radio that into me. Or if there is a radio position that is within view of that red cross, they can radio it to me. Uh, I would radio net control to stop the stage immediately. Um, and then the volunteers, the road marshals long course that have a ham radio and can hear that a Red Cross is called, they would slow down and safely stop all vehicles on course so that they don't go ramming into this rolled over vehicle or whatever the situation is on course. It might be a blind corner. Uh, So you're coming in 100 miles an hour, you can T-bone this car. Um, So we shut down the stage as safely as we can, uh, clear the stage so that the e-vehicles can assess the situation and get to the, the vehicle that needs aid and um yeah hopefully everything's okay
1: (laughs) well then what happens at that point with timing so like half the guys ran the stage and then half the guys didn't because of the red cross what happens
2: usually that stage is scrapped and it's a dnf or or they give a a certain time to all vehicles on that um we try to let the cars finish if they can but again we don't release a lot of information on the radio or we just don't know the information. So we stop down all cars in case the nearest E-vehicle is through spectator area or at the finish. And that's the best way to get through. So, Mm -hmm. so we basically have to shut down all the vehicles, just make it as safe for everybody as possible to get to where Mm -hmm. they need to be.
1: (laughs) So then the remaining vehicles would just transit the stage to the next stage.
2: Yeah. They would just transit through the stage, uh, exit to the next stage or the vehicles, uh, before that incident would have to turn around and then go down to the next stage. It's it's logistically not very fun, but um Yeah. It's part yeah. of racing. <laughs>
0: Is, and I think people go in, uh, when you're racing, you are talked to about this, you know the protocol, mm-hmm. you know the procedure, and it's just kind of part of the sport, so people know that this may be something I have to contend with. Mm-hmm. People don't usually, I think, you can correct me if I'm wrong, people don't usually get upset or give people a hard time. No. You no.
2: Know. No, not at all. Yeah. it's um, And we as organizers try to make the situation better for mm-hmm. the next time as well, To people want to race. So. <laughs> Uh, You know, we, we feel
0: really fortunate. We have so many people that race with us who also, um, work with you guys and have taken some of the safety courses we've put on and you've put on that sort of thing. We had a car fire at an event, um, two months ago and it went up fast and it went it got put out really fast and accident. that was
1: a big flame huge and, yeah and, and uh, put that, out really fast they
0: got it out really fast and the car was able to go home get fixed come back and finish out the rest yeah, of the yeah. that that was impressive. Impressive. Oh, he lives down the block i
2: think he went home anyway <laughs> um, <laughs> i've seen it at a rally cross in 15 years of doing that probably same with you keto <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah we've we've had a couple
0: like tiny things like where like a little bit of grass catches fire or something like that but never the car but yeah. it, was, it was amazing to see everyone's training just yeah. on the play.
1: I mean, we had three fire extinguishers on it immediately, mm-hmm. put it out, and we put it out so fast. He literally, what happened is his uh, fuel line popped off. Uh, yeah. They didn't put the clamp on the right side of the bar, and it mm-hmm. popped off. So he put it back on, put it on correctly, mm-hmm. and by his next turn was back up on the line, <laughs> took off down the line and all the fire extinguishers <laughs> gosh, this was like behind him. <laughs> That's <laughs>
2: dedication. <laughs> That's the rally spirit.
0: Uh, I love it. <laughs> so, um, we're getting a little bit of echo. I'm sorry about that. Um, let's talk a little bit about your racing. So, you guys started racing
2: with your brother, and you still do. I, I do. Thanks to you guys. Yeah, it's, it's great. Um, so, I, gosh, um, started with autocross and really enjoyed that. And then I discovered this rally cross thing. So, I think I did autocross for two years. I met some great people with that. Uh, people really take you under their wing and they want you to get better. So it was a, a great way to learn my car and car handling before I transitioned to dirt because it's a completely different style of, of driving. So I discovered Rallycross and I was like, God, this is, this is so much fun. <laughs> so um, I was still doing autocross here and there and do a track school. Um, but really when I discovered Rallycross, I I raced monthly. I would drive to Oregon to race, like at five AM, drive to Hillsboro, Oregon, race, drive back. And it was it was wonderful. <laughs> it was it was great.
0: And you mentioned about Autocross, the people sort of mentoring you and taking you under your wing, under their wing. But you've told me the same thing about people in Rallycross that there were some folks yeah. who've been around forever that really, really taught you a lot. I'd love for you to talk a little bit about that
2: yeah it's, it's anything as simple as doing a course walk in a group and talking about how to read cones because that's that's part of it learning how to read cones and that's actually fun when you when it clicks and you're like wow i could take that a little differently and mm-hmm. and the, the water truck when they make a little mud pit everybody hated it but when i learned how to catch my car and put input in earlier gosh, I loved it. It was, it was great. Like when you learn how to handle those things and everybody seems to complain about it, but use that as a learning experience. And, and, uh, it was when it clicks, you're like, dang, yeah, bring out that water truck (laughs) and make a little slippy spot. (laughs) Um, Uh, What we're
0: hearing is, uh, volunteering to go first the next time the water truck comes out. So, So, well,
2: you know, there's, there's... That would mean I'd have to be seated a little bit better where I am. I, I'm a I'm a solid mid-pack racer. <laughs> we have so many people who
0: do not want to be the first out after slaughter check and we hear about it nonstop and it's, it's exactly what you just said. Like we have to order you guys in a way that makes sense. So can you just go
1: They want they want a course that's not dusty at all but they don't want the water truck anywhere near them at the same you time.
2: May, can you make that happen?
1: Right, yeah. It's yeah. rain.
2: So far, no. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, but we don't want rain either. We want a nice sunny day. Yeah. <laughs> this is true.
0: Oh, yeah. yeah. man.
1: Um,
2: so you still you still come out and race the same car, right? Talk about your car. I do. I do. I still have my 05 Bug-Eyes wagon. Um, I, I love that thing. Every time... I take it out. So it, it's, uh, it used to be my only car. So it was my daily driver, rally cross. I did um, track schools with it. It was my car I used for stage captaining. Um, it's, it's done everything. But I love that car so much that I, it's kind of hurting to beat it up. So uh, I retired it to a garage queen. So it comes out for rally crosses now. Cause it's, it's actually, I haven't washed it since last year. Oh. Yeah, I know. It's not, not good. Yeah, it's ready for the no, next. I was going to
0: say, you need to go back and listen to episode four with Jadberg.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I did. <laughs> I know. That's bad. He has a clean Oh, cover. yeah. The moment. I, his polishing freaking fire extinguishers. I mean, come on. Can he come over? <laughs> I'm sure he's available. <laughs>
1: You just need a little house fire, and you'll get them oh, there.
0: God.
2: Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> Take it, put out the fire and wash the car, please.
1: The car <laughs> while, while you're at it, while you yeah. The- wash the
2: car first, and then put out the fire. Totally.
0: <laughs> That's probably where his priorities are, anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, if somebody wants to get into um, working on stage, mm-hmm. how
2: would you suggest they start? Just come out. So, <laughs> uh, so come to any of our event websites. Uh, So I'm a stage captain for Olympus Rally and Oregon Trail Rally. Um, I've done other events as well, but I'm mostly for those two. So on each of their event websites, there's a little tab that says volunteer and it'll bring you to rallydata.com where you can sign up, create a profile and that's your profile forever. So you don't have to keep recreating profiles and you click on the event that you want to volunteer at and you'll get an email with a lot of information. As you know, Katie, you're just like me. Probably way too much information, but it's good. <laughs> and it's over enough. Yeah, and never never read, but that's okay. <laughs> no, it's okay. Um, and show up at the meet time, and we'll coach you through it. You, you don't have to have any experience. Um, just be willing to stand out in the woods all day and um, – I usually give you a list of things to bring, like dress for the weather, just like you're camping, full tank of gas, food and water, um, something to do to pass the time. Because if, if you want to be busy the whole time, be a stage captain, I'm busy the whole time. But when I place volunteers, you usually sit there for an hour while I'm setting up the rest of the stage. So bring something to do or a friend to bug. Um, you know, some ca- chairs. And I had a, another friend, they have a full camp set up sprinter that, with a barbecue, tables, little flamingo cup holders I mean it was it's really fun (laughs) make a day out of it
1: And there is there a place to let you know or let them know that you want to work with somebody in particular with a friend or a spouse or yes
2: Absolutely. So on uh, rallydata.com, we now have a drop-down menu where you can pick your stage captain if you have a preference. Mm. Um, we have a comment section where you list your group of friends. And, and I, I read those. I, I, I have a little spreadsheet where I group everybody together. So, so put who you want to work with and I'll, I'll make it happen as best I can. And usually I can. Uh, if you want to work a position, if you don't want to work a position, let us know. We want you to have fun. We want you to come back and do it again. Yeah. Yeah. I do also,
0: you mentioned that, you know, be ready to stand in the woods all day. There are usually opportunities if you have some kind of physical limitation and you can't, literally can't stand in the woods all day, there are usually options. So don't, don't let that be a limiter if you're interested.
2: That's a very good point, Katie, because, um, it's it's not just being on stage. There's a whole slew of other things. There's volunteers in the service area. There's volunteers for registration, where you're in a casino, you know, and we need people to register the competitors. Um, volunteers for for scoring. I mean, they usually get the nice RV. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, yeah, there there are many many things that you can do. Um, our net control person is wonderful she is a um 911 operator so she just fits right in she's she's amazing so we need people like that to run comms Mm
1: -hmm. i would also i always suggest to people if you're interested in getting into anything whether it's motorcycle racing or rally racing or anything go out and volunteer then you figure out for example <clears throat> what are the fast cars, you know, pretty simple to figure that out. That's the ones that always finish right. you know? and, and
2: also uh, for future uh, Competitors, how mm-hmm. does a rally work? Um, how do the time controls work? How, how do the the time cards work? It's mm-hmm. easier and less stressful to learn as a volunteer than learning as you're pulling up to the start line mm-hmm. I mean you, you can take classes. We have lots of classes, but it's a great way to, to be exposed to it um, mm-hmm. Before you actually compete. Mm-hmm. So you
0: mentioned it's less stressful, um, to start as a volunteer, but I'm sure when you're getting started, you still run into some stressful situations. What is something that you maybe learned the hard way out on the job that you would love to pass on as a bit of information? Well,
2: I've made a lot of those mistakes. (laughs) So I usually tell people don't do this because I've done it. (laughs) So, um, I, I try to coach people as best I can or, or, place them with an experienced volunteer, I, I will never leave you on your own to figure it out yourself. Mm-hmm. And I'll try to tell you what went wrong because usually I did it <laughs> as I was learning. <laughs> so, so I try to give everybody as much information to feel comfortable, but you're right, stuff still happens. And so I, I pair them with an experienced volunteer or myself if they're at start. Um, to, to learn. And I also have a a co-captain on the finish end, somebody experienced there to help run that because realistically you can't do it all from one end, especially if you're 30 miles from the other end. (laughs) Right. Yeah.
0: Um, well, this has been really great. Um, I would love it if you would tell people where they can find you online.
2: Yeah. So I have a Facebook page. My name is difficult to spell, but it'll be on, on, Katie and Keto's website so I think you can search for my name and I have my my little stickered up Subaru as a profile picture <laughs> uh, Also, check out olympusrally.com for the events oregontrailrally.com their website or just search for it <laughs> um, so yeah come check out our events uh, Tour de Forest should be running and hopefully given everything should be running in September <laughs>
1: And what's the website, again, where people can sign up and volunteer?
2: Rallydata.com.
1: Rallydata.com.
2: Yeah. I'll link to to all
0: of it in the show notes, but it's good to talk about. Thank you so much for coming on today and sharing everything and your story and just for always being such a great, positive light in Rally. Absolutely. It was so much fun. It's a great sport. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with La Ikea. If you did, we would love to know. Take a screenshot and tag us on Instagram or Facebook at Mod Racing. Mod is spelled M-O-D-D because it's an acronym for Motorsports and Driver Development. Just so you know, this podcast is a key part of the driver development piece of our mission. We are always striving to bring you interviews that help you grow in your motorsports journey wherever you might be. Thank you for listening today. We will catch you guys next time.